Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix, where each month we focus on IT innovations that are moving federal agencies forward. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering for Nutanix. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. The IT Innovation Insider is a quarterly discussion where we'll explore a wide range of issues around IT modernization, cloud computing, data center optimization and consolidation, and much more. We're going to hear from your colleagues, Dan, at Nutanix, as well as other experts in the public and private sector. Today's topic, as you know, is cybersecurity in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And, you know, Dan, you're not going to hear any discussion today about zero trust or supply chain. We're done with those topics, so to speak. We're going to talk about addressing best practices and pitfalls as it relates to different types of IT security, inherent security, secure by original design, architectural IT security, build it into the architectural format, and security practices, roles, and, of course, responsibilities. Dan, let me start with a little basics to get our conversation going. OMB's latest FISMO report to Congress showed us that agencies faced more than 31,000 cybersecurity incidents in 2018. Now, actually, that's a good news point because that was 12% less than in 2017. 2018 also marked the first year since the creation of this title of major incident that agencies did not have a major cyber incident. Okay, now for the bad news. Agencies continue to struggle with basic cyber hygiene. OMB released the latest data on the IT modernization cross-agency priority goal. 70% of all civilian agencies have implemented hardware asset management, which is up 5% over the previous report card. 83% of all civilian agencies have implemented software asset management, which is up 4% over the previous report card. So while it's better, those numbers still show agencies struggle with some basic cyber defenses. So how can agencies overcome the ever-growing cybersecurity challenge? Well, that's where my guest comes in. Dan Fallon is the Senior Director of Federal Engineering for Nutanix. Dan, I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, conversation, there's something, you know, we're not talking zero trust and supply chain and all the buzzwords that we see, but really what we're talking about is inherent architectural practical, secure by design. What does that actually mean? To talk about, you know, secure by design, security in the underlying infrastructure. Use a good analogy that almost everyone should know. Think about the Apple versus Windows debate. We, we have it frequently at work. We have the Apple camp and the Windows camp. But uh, when I think about uh, what I do for my family, all Apple devices. One, they're uh, simple, easy to use. But the other is more inherent security just built into the OS. Uh, you don't have to install a bunch of extra security agents in the Mac. Uh, the operating system you know, built on a Linux and they've implemented more security into the underlying system. So just a simple example, you're logged in as an admin, right? Most people at their home computer, their administrator rights, which means, you know, bad guy gets access, can take advantage. Uh, but it prompts you to do things like install an application. So that's a simple example. Windows has, has gotten better, but only a couple of versions ago, you know, Windows, you're logged in as admin and, and you have free reign on the system in terms of what you can do the Apple devices are much better at prompting so the user's at least aware. Same thing on uh, the o OS, you know, Apple event last month in September, so iOS 11 is out now, I think. Uh, one of the big updates there was more security prompts. So you know when an application is tracking your location. So more privacy-related, but still important for security. All these do require user training. You know, the user's got to know that they're not just clicking on the OK box and letting that app install into their operating system and take advantage. Uh, so user training is still critical, but that underlying infrastructure, that operating system that Apple provides, provides that inherent security. So there's at least a stopgap. So these things are prompting the user before they take action, giving control back to the user so that security is in the underlying system. 
That's a really great example for several reasons. One, we all remember the discussion, right? Are you an Apple person or a Windows person? I remember the first time I used an Apple, it was just like, what am I doing? But I realized that's just my own probably <laughs> faults versus uh, the actual security of it. When we talk about federal agencies and, and the federal marketplace, is that security by inherent design? Is that happening? Is, is that something the agencies have gotten their head around? Or is that up to you as the vendor to say, hey, I'm building that in? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's still a slow progression. A lot of what's being done today is the federal government agencies like NIST and DISA build out guidelines. And then those guidelines are turned over to the agencies. And typically that's done post-install. So a vendor sells a product, agency buys a product, gets it into their data center, and there's typically a long laundry list of items to go lock down, security hardening. I mean, it, it employs um, a lot of people to do that initial setup and, and harden the system so it's secure to the DISA STIG, for example, the hardening baseline for the DOD. Um, whereas you're seeing newer vendors, um, you know, really to keep up with the model of a SaaS provider, but in the data center, you need that product to be secure when it comes out of the box. The first time you hit the power button and it lights up, you want that security built in. It saves a lot of hours in hardening, but it's also more consistent. There's a lot of human error in someone going through a spreadsheet line by line trying to match with security controls, whereas if the product has it built in, you know now across all the systems in your data center, it has that underlying security baseline. So you're starting to see it. It's still, I would say, a newer feature. Um, but it definitely saves a lot of time and money and provides a more secure baseline out of the box and then one that can be tracked to so that you know day zero you're, you're out of the box secure. Does it matter if I'm providing a commercial solution versus a government solution? Uh, let me put a finer point on that, meaning if I call Dan and say, hey, Nutanix, I want this in my data center, help me with that, and you go, okay, uh, that's not on our commercial list or that's a something we've done for another agency, does that play into whether the, how secure that component, that software, that hardware is? Yeah, they're, they're obviously selling and supporting the government, especially the federal business, is a whole nother, uh, whole nother animal. So you definitely want a vendor that's experienced in that spot. You'll see that by what they've invested in terms of compliance. So all the various security standards. I think we may hit on FedRAMP a little later, FedRAMP, FIPS, FISMA, um, but some of the common criteria is another one. So those show that the, the product has, has met the federal standards, which are typically more stringent than the commercial guidelines. Um, but there's some other simple examples, you know, some things we do at Nutanix. We know that all our commercial customers are not going to want to meet the 14-character DOD password guidance. They're just going to yell at us and say, hey, we don't have to do this. So we, we actually have a um, checkbox we treat the system as, hey, we want to have the same security baseline. We want to give the commercial customers all that great security posture that the federal government provides because it benefits them as well. But there's some things that go a little above and beyond, like some of the DOD rules with password guidance and uh, warning banners that, you know, even though the commercial customers want to be as secure as possible, they're just not quite to that level. So we actually have a, a checkbox that turns them on because there you constantly balancing the security versus usability. So you, you have to walk that fine line. We know, you know, the most secure system, it actually is a system that's not online, can't talk to anything, doesn't work out of the box. We, we need the system to be usable. Uh, so we have little tools like that. And that's uh, 
part of the reason I think vendors have been slow to embrace the whole secure by design because it's it's a fine line to walk. It, t- it takes a lot of balance to mix that usability and security. I think that's a key point because of why you need to have the security on the front end. We've in years talking about don't bolt it on, build it in. I think we've we've talked about that issue before the two of us. And this idea of secure by design tags back to that architecture because if it's not usable, then when you bolt it on, it becomes it makes the product potentially less usable than if you build it in. I think that's why this architecture piece, the secure by design, is so important. That seems so easy to see, but so what's the problem or what's the challenge for agencies or, or vendors to see that? I think it's a mind shift from it being on the agency or the federal government's responsibility, their burden to secure it, versus being the vendor um, as more, you know, cybersecurity comes to the forefront, more and more, you know, incidents happen. It'll be vendors wanting to establish themselves. It'll be a whole new feature set that we can do this out of the box. So I think that'll, that'll drive some of the push. Also agencies making their requests saying, Hey, we want this feature in our products. Um, but it is, it is a big deal in the sense that you were talking about, you know, bolt on the security. Um, while that may work in the end, Often it takes a lot more time because, hey, it's easy to go implement this security checkbox that this is recommended, turn this off, turn this port off. You turn that off and then the product stops working. And that's what you, it turns into all this testing back and forth to actually get the security policy implemented and the product still working. So like we've been discussing, when it's out of the box, you, you already know the security is there and the product's been built to, to comply with it, but also work with it too. So that's, I think, one of the big differences. But I think it's this trend as cybersecurity becomes more forefront and more establishing as a feature set that vendors will invest the time and the money to put that in their product. We hear a lot about DevOps, DevSecOps, this idea of you're building security in, you're testing security as you go along, as you're building the next you know feature, the next capability. Does the cloud and, and the move to the cloud that agencies are on that journey change this approach to built-in security that's this, you know, secure by design? Yeah, it's I think multiple answers to that one. It's When you look at the, the on-prem and the private cloud, um, that's, that's a big reason you're seeing more products offer more security features built in because they need to keep up with the cloud model. Um, but even in the cloud, it's still a big shared responsibility. Um, the cloud vendor doesn't own 100% of the security stack. So they're responsible for, you know, the, the baseline infrastructure. But a lot of these big incidents have been breaches in the public cloud that were misconfigured, either out of just, you know, lack of knowledge on how to configure certain services in the public cloud or a lack of governance. Because day, day zero, you know you're hardened to the baseline. But what happens day one, two, three there are admins in there and either, you know, intentionally or just by pure accident, changing settings, opening things, doing things like leaving uh, unencrypted data in the open, which becomes a much bigger issue when it's in the public cloud, much more accessible. Um, so it requires not only the baseline infrastructure to take on some of that responsibility, but also the agency to put some tools in place that give the governance of tracking those security compliance. So it's not, you know, a lot of that's admin education, but you can have that fail safe of, all right, I'm going to have, there are tools out there now that can have security governance tracking to the NIST and DISA standards. So you can see, oh, this service is misconfigured. 
you now have this proliferation of cloud services, a lot more to track there, and it's outside of your data center. So I'd say there's even more importance for that safety net to catch those security misconfigurations so you can catch things like, you know, some of the recent high-profile breaches like Capital One. Um, you know, it's becoming more and more important as more of these incidents happen. We're going to get into this maybe later in the program, but let me just start with the this basic question about governance because I think you bring it up. It's up to the agency to work with their, their vendor to understand when and where those changes are being made. And I think, as you mentioned, the tools that can tell you when that, hey, this configuration has changed or, hey, this patch has been added. Is that part of this idea of smart governance? Yeah, it's definitely smart governance and continuous monitoring go hand in hand. It's no longer the old days of a once every three years security audit. You know, that goes out the window in cloud. It's a continuous life cycle, you know, daily, if not almost by the minute. And that's how, especially these, these high profile agencies, actually have a friend who works for a, a large bank just saying how frequently they're being attacked. So, I mean, that's how, how stringent you need to have your monitoring, both from an external, but also an internal uh, monitoring, you know, the configurations inside and then the threats coming at you external. So being in that posture to have that continuous monitoring and also the ability to respond. So monitoring is the first step. You, you're rattling off uh, the stats in the intro. And, you know, it's very clear that there needs to be more monitoring, more asset tracking. Then it's also the ability to respond. So I see an asset out of patch compliance or I see a port that's misconfigured on the open internet, how do I quickly, within minutes or seconds, click a button and configure that so it's now closed? When you find it, you want to close it as quickly as possible and not allow that uh, security vulnerability to be out there any longer. Sounds like you're talking a little automation, a little orchestration, but uh, maybe we'll take a break and come back and, and hit upon those topics. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. A recent survey revealed that at least 50% of federal agencies are using multiple clouds in their IT environment. Combine that with the legacy infrastructure that most agencies still use, and you can imagine the complexity and the limitations of such an environment. But federal agencies are adopting Nutanix to simplify and manage this complexity. Nutanix software-driven infrastructure and enterprise cloud give IT freedom from complexity, freedom to work with any cloud, to run any application at the scale they need, to use whatever technology stack suits them and to invent the technology that will move their mission forward. To learn more about how Nutanix is helping organizations simplify their IT environments, visit Nutanix.com freedom. Welcome back. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Dan Fallon, Senior Director of Federal Engineering for Nutanix. Dan, in last break, I mentioned this idea of automation orchestration, and, and we tried to do no buzzwords uh, in, in, our, in our discussion today, but maybe that's one we should go down that path just a little bit. Because as you mentioned earlier, the continuous monitoring, things change so much. You mentioned your friend at the bank who said they were being attacked so often that they are in constant mode of how do we make changes, how do we keep this moving. Part of being the, this idea of inherent security, building it in, should come with this idea of automation and orchestration. I mean, if it doesn't, it's kind of missing the boat in many ways. Would you agree? Yeah, and that's important because we're talking about security by design, and there, there's only so much that is standardized across all customers. 
So at some point, you need to get into your unique environment. And that's where we need to layer in that day two DevOps mindset and automation orchestration come in. Um, because the more you can orchestrate into a standard template, the more you can take just error-prone, you know, checking a security baseline or installing the right security agents, you get that out of a manual thing and into an automated process. So some examples are there are a lot of build and deploy tools out there, but just talking at a high level, the ability to take your operating system, be Windows, Linux, whatever you need for your enterprise to run, where your mission critical apps live, you want those standardized. And you want them to be the same time every time they're deployed, the same exact thing. And that allows you to put in that security baseline into that product, uh, into that application. So that means you have your operating system, you've patched it, you've, you've configured it to those security policies we were talking about in the last segment. And you, you're now installing the agents and the applications in a configuration that can also be hardened. Um, and that's, I mean, if you look, for those unfamiliar with DisaStig, you know, there's one for every application. You have the, the baseline Windows Stig, then you have the internet server, you have the SQL database server, you have the network. There, there's so many items, and these are hundreds of pages to apply. So if we can now get that into an automated framework, that just makes it repeatable. You know, I talk about build once, deploy many. And this is the same, be it in the private cloud or the public cloud. Because even in the public cloud, you still need to build and deploy your templates. And that's, uh, that's where a lot of, I think, people get into, all right, it, everything's already done for me. But there's still a lot at the application layer that the agency is handling in those deployment scenarios. The automated framework piece, this idea of getting out of that checklist mode, we talk about that quite often. If you're building it in, if your architecture is done in such a way that it's taking, okay, what's the minimum, you know, what's what's the what's the floor? And we're going to take care of everything from the floor. It, does that get us to that 80-20 rule or 70-30 or whatever we're going to, whatever ratio we want to use, where if I can automate 80%, 80% of it, then the other 20% is where I can add my analysts, my my the human power. Yeah, I think the the human power shifts a lot to the task of building those automation tool sets doesn't stay static. There are constantly updates coming out. There are new applications that your end users want to use. Um, so instead of having a team of people doing manual steps, you now have a team of people that are building those automation blueprints and adding in extra value after the fact that so a, a user request, instead of it being this manual ticket, it's you know routed through an ITSM framework and it's, it goes into the automation tool and then pops out the other side. There might be some approvals in there if there's costing associated. You know, that, that is not a trivial setup. So that's where the people can shift to making sure that functionality stays flowing and dynamic in the sense that, all right, what you built last month is probably going to need updates this month. So even though you've automated things, there's still a lot for the users to do, but it's adding a lot more higher value because when a user requests a new app instead of four plus weeks. I, I hear some places it's 90 days for an app request. Now that app request is immediate and your team is focusing on, all right, what's the update for next month instead of always being behind the eight ball. So it really gets into a more proactive IT stance, I would say. And that also leads us down the path of the discussion around who owns this cyber, who owns the technology. 
it's not just, okay, well, I'm going to pass this on to my cloud service provider and I'm done from the agency perspective, but that 80-20 rule, right? If, if the cloud service provider is automating a big chunk of those requirements, then the agency can really spend their time on that other 20% and even partner with, whether it's the cloud service provider or another vendor on that really important high value assets, you know, the, the areas that are most regularly attacked. Is, is that discussion also happening as, as we talk about the, the security by design? Yeah, well, I think break it into a couple parts. And, you know, first is look at how agencies are adopting cloud models. And this is talking about more of a as a service model. So overwhelming majority are going heavier into the IaaS, so infrastructure as a service. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One of them being it's the most flexible. So you're getting an underlying infrastructure that is provided by a service provider, be it public cloud or another service provider in a data center or in your data center even. And then that gives the, the agency flexibility to implement their orchestration on top of that, that cloud layer. Um, so in that model, it might be more of a 50-50 scenario. You know, cyber, the infrastructure is hardened by the provider, and then the agency is doing the other 50%. And then there's the, the next levels of SaaS, software as a service. Um, so that would be like an O365. There's, you know, heavy adoption of that. Uh, that's a lot more on the cloud provider to implement it, but there's still many, many things all that email is on your end device. And you think of the most vulnerable spot for the email is really when someone walks out of their office with their phone or laptop. I mean, that's the most vulnerable spot for that email to go, you know, gets lost, people losing their phones all the time. And if you don't have the proper uh, endpoint management on that phone, that email is now gone. You have no way to, to pull it back. So there's there's a lot of considerations on the agency, even in a SaaS model. And then the other the other item we hear about is uh, PaaS, so platform as a service, which is probably taking it almost to that 80-20 where there's more provided by the service provider in terms of automation orchestration, but there's still a lot of uniqueness to every agency. So it's very hard to standardize where you can get a service out of the box at the application level that doesn't require a little bit of customization. And that's where the agency has to look into, you know, what are they doing to add on to the APIs and the services there. And a really a lot of it is what's the vendor providing for them to orchestrate with. So how is there a REST-based API? Are there ways to interact in an automated fashion versus the typical you know, manual interfaces? Dan, I want to move the conversation over to this idea of FedRAMP. We talked about standards. We talked about this as STIG and NIST standards. But what FedRAMP was also trying to do is really bring some standardization, at least, again, the floor for agency cybersecurity, especially in the cloud. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing from FedRAMP. What's the latest? I know there's been some frustration with it, but at the same time, I know the FedRAMP folks are trying to make it better and listen to the frustrations in industry. What what are some of the the trends you're seeing? The FedRAMP office, it's a small office, but they're great at outreach to the vendors. The great part of FedRAMP is it's a standardized marketplace where you know everyone that's been authorized has gone through the same set of standards. Different levels. I think there's still a lot of education you know, FedRAMP's been around a while, but there's still a lot of education out in the market in terms of when you need it. You know, it's a, it's a hosted service. It doesn't really apply to in your data center. And then the different levels you may need. Uh, <laughs> I often just get this simple question is, do you have FedRAMP? And it leads to like 10 additional questions of, all right, what exactly do you need? 
But it's great in the sense that it standardizes security. That's the big benefit. So you know all the vendors and really the services, because it's done at a service level, are, have gone through that security baseline. Some of the you know challenges as a vendor who's going through it, and I'm, I'm kind of on the customer-facing side. We have a whole security and compliance team doing all the hard work. You know, the barrier to entry is still a little challenging in the sense that really to foster the most innovation possible, we want to be able to get new products into the FedRAMP uh, system so they can get through to authorization. Um, It's not a trivial process. You need to be uh, well-prepped. Typically, it's after you've gone through other standards like ISO and SOC is when you enter FedRAMP. And then finding that initial agency or kind of the, the, the challenges are either find an agency or you go through JAB, but neither of those is really for a um, brand new vendor. Um, so I think the, the more they can do to open that up so there's a easy innovation pipeline for new products, and then educating the agencies in terms of what their burden is, because I think it's uh, much less than a lot of agencies think. And that, that means there's hesitation. When, they, when you go to an agency, hey, we're uh, FedRAMP ready. You want to, are you going to go through the process? You know, you want this product, but you, you just need to submit it through your FedRAMP process. There's, there's a lot of hesitation. So it's, it's more about education there to help the agencies know what that is. Um, because that is a big burden is, or a big hurdle is finding agencies that are familiar with the process. Once you're there, it's, it's a great spot because you know you can go to that marketplace and you can find the products. And we're doing it with a couple of our products, uh, Zyframe and Zybeam, which are heavily cloud-based. And we're taking advantage of, of some of the standards already out there in the public cloud and offering additional services on top of those existing cloud providers like desktop as a service and cost governance as a service. So really, you know, adding services, those are actually the first two services on the marketplace in either of those categories. So in terms of innovation, you know, the more products you can get on there, the more competition for the vendors and the the federal government benefits from a more competitive marketplace. Dan, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. So about 30 seconds or less. So what's the big takeaways from our conversation? What should agencies keep in mind as we talk about secure by design? I think the big ones are is secure by design takes more of the burden off the agency, saves them time and money by the vendor taking more of the responsibility in the product. Uh, so your security policies and features are in the system. When you start, when you start the system, when you take it out of the box, and the agency doesn't have to go through a, a laundry list of checkboxes to implement those security hardening procedures. So that's, that's huge cost savings, time savings. It means more rapid time to deployment for your missions. Um, and I think the other one is as we're looking at public cloud and more and more cloud services about, across both public and private environments, you need a strong governance model. And cyber is very important. There's also cost governance, but you know, cyber is probably the the number one thing people think about in the cloud environment is what is my security profile and that governance and being able to continuously monitor those environments are critical. Uh, so looking at the ability to do that in various products and making sure that's part of your overall architecture is key. All right, very nice, Dan. This has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So first, let me thank my guest. Dan Fallon is the Senior Director of Federal Engineering for Nutanix. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search IT Innovation Insider. 
Thank you for listening to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix for Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Today's episode can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com, keyword NTNX.